You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We're going to read the entire chapter because we're kind of in the middle of it and we might finish it and we might not. But um, I want to have full context, at least chapter context. So chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches in Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urge Titus, that is, he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, that just as there was readiness to desire it, so there may also may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, that their abundance may also become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. And we have sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread throughout all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show our readiness, taking precaution that no one should discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ." Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. So, as we look more into this interesting section where Paul comes back to to, uh, some practical aspects, and one of them being that there was a church in great distress. We've talked about that at length, a church in great distress in Jerusalem. The, The times were... Famine and financial difficulty and uh, conquering and Roman plundering and and it was just a difficult time to live and 
Paul has encouraged the churches throughout Macedonia to contribute to Jerusalem. And as we had talked about earlier, Corinth had started a year before, and then it set it aside, likely because of the dispute they had with Paul. And after the severe letter, when most of the churches, most of the body of the church repented and came back to doing what is right, now Paul feels confident to revisit this. And so we finished up in verse 9 last week. Um, For I know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his sake, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We looked at um, all the aspects of that, that description of Jesus being rich, becoming poor for our sakes, and specifically Paul was talking about for the Corinthians' sake. And uh, so we ended up on verse 8, or excuse me, verse 9. Verse 10, we'll start this morning, says, So, he says, I give my opinion in this matter, for it is to your advantage who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. So still keeping in teaching, in, with Paul's teaching that giving is voluntary, he would not command them. But he did remind them about their beginning about their beginning to send money to Jerusalem approximately a year before. John MacArthur gave the chrono- gives the chronology of this entire situation in his 2 Corinthians commentary. I'm going to read through that. It's a, it's, it makes it very cogent, and you can see how it flows. <clears throat> so he says, the, the chronology of Paul's dealings with the Corinthians concerning the collection for the Jerusalem church may be re- reconstructed as follows. After founding the Corinthian church, On his second missionary journey, we read about that in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. After founding that church, Paul ministered there for about 20 months. We see that in Acts chapter 18, verses 11 and 18. He then left Corinth and went to Ephesus, from where he wrote a corrective letter to the Corinthians, described in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, probably carried to Corinth by Titus. By that time, Paul had formulated his plan for the offering to give to the poor Christians in Jerusalem, and Titus told the Corinthians about it. The church responded positively, but they had some questions, which Paul answered in 1 Corinthians. We see that in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians. Then, after false teachers arrived in Corinth and led a rebellion against Paul, the Corinthians temporarily halted their giving. Paul dealt sternly with this rebellion in his third letter, we, we call this known as the severe letter, described in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 3 through 4, which he wrote between 1 and 2 Corinthians. The apostle then received the encouraging news from Titus, who had carried the severe letter to Corinth, that most of the Corinthians had repented of their dissatisfac- disaffection toward him. Therefore, when he wrote 2 Corinthians, his fourth letter to them, Paul urged them to resume collecting the offering. We see that in chapters 8 and 9, which we are going through now. He did so in keeping with the principle noted in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, that all their giving was to be voluntary. In other words, as each person may prosper. So that's the chronology, and it's been over several years that this has happened. When the church leaders, when church leaders put a guilt trip on the flock to give, something is amiss. This would be the example in the standard and the standard by which we should operate. Guilt trips are wrong. Encouragement 
explanation, and then leaving it to the individual decisions of each believer as directed by the Holy Spirit through His Word. Do we believe, or don't we, that each one of us is on a pathway to to living out what God has planned for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and in Philippians where it says, He who began a good work in you will require the leadership to pound you and pound you and pound you until you do it. Oh, it doesn't... Wait a minute. Did I read that wrong? Oh, that was the Babylon B version. He who began a good work in you will continue it, will perfect it until the coming of, of Christ. That's the confidence we all have in one another, that the Holy Spirit is at work. So the leadership makes the evidence, the information, or whoever. If Sometimes it's someone else in the church. I just found out about Alabama this morning. And so it is made known, and then God moves people to, to, to direct their, their giving as they decide individually. But much more. So the finishing of this giving is an advantage to the Corinthians themselves. Paul says, he says, it, this is to your advantage. How can it be to their advantage? You yourself know when you start something and don't finish it, it it's, it's just a burr under your saddle, isn't it? And especially if it was needful, especially if it was important. And so for the Corinthians to start this and then finish it, it would be an advantage to them. And here's some of the advantages. <clears throat> it's not enough to just make a promise. The Corinthians had the desire and the ability. So Paul called upon them based upon that desire and that ability to finish what they started. And finish they did, because we see in verse 20 of this chapter that the gift the Corinthians finally come up with is a generous one. And we'll look at the meaning of that word. It's an interesting word. Only place it's ever used in the New Testament. For the purposes of leadership, it is enough to make the body aware of the need. God will direct. And because God is at work in us, in you, in the Corinthians, the completion will come at God's direction. And note also that Paul reminds them that they need to complete it according to their ability, not beyond their ability, not below their ability, but according to their ability. They would know what that ability was, and they would be able to cheerfully do this and be the kind of cheerful givers that God loves to see. They would be doing it within their ability. So we're going to see a little bit more about that as we go, but are there any questions about verse 11? Comments? <clears throat> verse, verse 12. Four. If the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Adding emphasis to the idea of giving according to what one has, Paul again reinforces the idea that God looks on the heart. If the heart is willing, that is if the readiness is present, then what one does is acceptable. If they do it according to what they have and not according to, not what, to what they do not have. If your heart is willing, if the Corinthian heart was willing, and they were going to do, it, do this giving according to what they had and not according to what they did not have, that was acceptable to God. Believers should not borrow or go into debt to give. Is not God able to pay for what he wants to pay for? Would he force you into something that he calls out in Proverbs in order to give to someone else? He says it, that the borrower's servant to the lender. He wants us to be servants to one another in love. Romans chapter 12, I believe. <clears throat> so they should give out of what they have. If someone is moved to give beyond their ability, and I don't mean borrowing, but give even more 
than they would normally give so that it cuts into maybe their food budget or something else, then, they, then so be it if God directs them to do that. That is what they should do. Just as the widow, when she gave her might, elicited the comment from Jesus that she gave the most because she gave sacrificially, so some believers will be moved to give, give sacrificially. Not everybody is going to be moved to give sacrificially, but be willing to do it if God does that in your life. So if, if you give, and, and it was something you had to give, and you did it out of your heart, and you gave because you were uh, moved to give by God, that is acceptable, the Lord says in His sight. That is acceptable. Husbands and wives should confer and concur when entering into the world of giving. God never intends for this to disrupt the marriage. So that the wife says, you did what? But that was, and, and that can be its own little test as you, as you demonstrate to one another how open you are about your own finances. Oh, did I step in it there? God wants the, the marriage, a couple who become one, to give as one. And so it should be something that actually strengthens the marriage rather than disrupts it. For, verse 13, this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. It is very possible that there might have been some resistance to Paul's request for, for any number of reasons. First of all, he was a Jew. And the church in Jerusalem was comprised mostly of Jews, at least the, 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 the main body there. <clears throat> so it might have been seen by the dissidents in Corinth as an attempt for Paul, the Jew, to enrist, enrich the Jerusalem Jews at the expense of the Gentiles in Macedonia. When we're looking for reasons to, to dislike someone, if we can't find good ones, we'll make them up. That's just what we do. We do it good. I see it all the time. And, and people that knew Paul would know better. By the way, that's something we should, a, a grace we should extend to one another. When we hear something about a brother or sister and we go, nah, they wouldn't do that. Stick with that until there's this old principle called innocent until proven guilty. But Paul would have been accused probably by the, the uh, false teachers that had, that had rained down on Corinth. <clears throat> it also might have been seen as an opportunity to simply take money from those who are well off in Corinth to pad the pockets of those who refused to work in Jerusalem. Neither of these was true. Paul would take with him members of the Corinthian church and other Macedonian churches when he distributed the money in Jerusalem. He would do this primarily to maintain credibility and transparency with all the church bodies that contributed to the need. We'll see that in verses 20 and 20 through 23. The idea here is not to distribute or to redistribute wealth, but rather to take care of a very real situation of extreme poverty. Paul did not intend to improve the income level of the Jerusalem saints at the expense of Christians in Corinth and Macedonia. This was simply an opportunity for those who at the time had more than they needed to help those who were in great extreme need. In Paul's epistle to Timothy, he encourages the rich to do good works and to be generous and ready to share. Notice he doesn't encourage them to give all their money away. He just encourages them to use that to do good. Here's what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. In 1 John, the Apostle John stipulates that those who close their hearts to those who have true needs have questionable salvation. In 1 John 3, 17, he says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Not that our works are our salvation, but our works demonstrate whether or not we have been saved. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul counsels, for some balance here, those who will not work should neither eat, and that if anyone is acting that way, it is an evidence that they are immorally undisciplined and busybodies. First, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 and 11, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no, no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Can you work? You should be working. If you can't, if you have a broken back, then I'm hoping you're in a Christian church that sees that and is taking care of you. But if you can work, you should be working. <laughs> Any comments or questions about verse 13? 14. At this present time, that's a key statement. At this present time, your abundance... So let, let me read verse 13 so you can see how this whole sentence goes. For this is not for the ease of others and for, your, and for your affliction, but by way of equality at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. The entire section involving giving to the church in Jerusalem is modified and explained by this verse. This particular collection as are all opportunities for relieving poverty, was a gift at an instance in time. This was not the normal course of living. Paul says that at this present time, knowing that the Macedonian churches at this present time had an abundance, they were helping them in their need. They would be helping the Jerusalem church in their need at this present time. He does not stipulate that they are to be helped in their wants, but in their needs. He also mentions that this all evolves the idea of the, uh, the idea that turnabout is fair play. Should Macedonia come to be in need at a time when Jerusalem had an abundance, he, Paul, would recommend the same distribution in reverse. Thus, he avoids the appearance of enriching, enriching Jerusalem Jews at the expense of the Macedonian Gentiles. And for, more importantly, he shows that the work of God to relieve great needs works both ways. Sometimes you're the giver. Sometimes you're the recipient. Both of them are a blessing. I don't know which one is a more of a blessing. It is more blessed, to, I guess it's more blessed to give, it says, than to receive. If you've got it, if, even if it constrains you, even if it puts you in a little bit of, of sacrifice, when you give and you know you've really helped somebody, that is such a blessing. I can't, I can't tell you, you know, <laughs> to come home when you're in a great a particular time of need, this was back in the 70s, and to find a bunch of groceries on your doorstep? You know, and, and he's telling me that the person who put those there were more blessed? Okay, Lord, you're always right, but it sure was nice. <laughs> sure was nice to eat. Well, that's why we eat the 
it would be a long rabbit trail. Look up the Pietist movement in the late 1800s, P-I-E-T-I-S-T, the Pietist movement. That was kind of the culmination of some of the thought processes that caused the church to back away. And then I will simply say this, it is a result of greed. Greed in the church. It shouldn't be there. But when when believers or imposters in the church think that they can do more with their money by pooling it in a government uh, a government or any other kind. I don't recall the Sanhedrin having this kind of thing, or the even the Pharisees. The idea is God moves individuals to give. You, you had a question? P-I-E-T-I-S-T, pietist movement. Um, it occurred around the time of the late 1800s. Henry Ironside spoke against it. Um, it's an interesting, it's a, but it's just a culmination of a movement away from having affection for one another and looking out for one another. And, boy, I could really get on a rabbit trail here. <laughs> Especially when it's political, man. I can ruin your whole day. I'm not going to do that. Um, the idea is, though, as you all know, God moves individuals to give. And it's not just for the givee, the recipient. It's for the giver because it binds us together. And, and an individual... Getting a, getting, developing a relationship with somebody who's in need can look into that and know more about how to truly help them. A government can't. So I'll leave it at that. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of history in this, and, and we need to take it back. This was not to enrich the Jerusalem church at the expense of Macedonian Gentiles. Again, the giving would be voluntary, and it would be for relieving the horrendous poverty that was rampant in Jerusalem, not to enrich the Jerusalem church, while all the poor are proper recipients of charity, and repeat that, while all the poor are proper recipients of charity and help from the church, it is important to remember that brothers and sisters in Christ come to the front of that line. <clears throat> Love your enemies, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 35, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. There's our premise. Who are we to love? Who are we to help? Our enemies. Nobody in here has any enemies, so you can just, you don't have to help anybody, right? Number two, Galatians 6.10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 3 John 1, 5 through 8. Well, 3 John 5 through 8. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. So we're talking about people from other churches, members of other churches, not from our church. <clears throat> and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on the way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. We're, we're called to support, help other churches. And I've seen Kootenai do that, seen us do that. Then finally, as mentioned in 2 Thessalonians, this is not the normal course of life. Everyone is to shoulder their own burden and make their own way in life. At times of extreme duress, believers come together and help one another. They come together and they help one another. That, impl that The implication is, is that we're paying attention to one another. 
And there will always be those within an individual local body who are more sensitive to the needs that are going on. And we need to be grateful for those folks because they're like our distant early warning system, our NORAD, that warn us and apprise us of the needs that we don't see, that we don't always see. Some of us are so busy doing other things, and, and to our shame, maybe that's true, but that there are those in the body that are able to see those needs is a blessing, is an absolute blessing. And we need to be quick to listen to them so that we can help. Charles Hodge stated it this way in, second, in, on his commentary, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. He said, Thus do the scriptures avoid on the one hand the injustice and destructive evils of agrarian communism by recognizing the right of property and making all almsgiving optional. And on the other, the heartless disregard of the poor by inculcating the universal brotherhood. We have brothers and sisters all over the planet, real brothers and sisters who love the Lord, who are in need today. And if we can help them, that's what it's talking about. It might be necessary for us to do that right here in Kootenai, Idaho. And the consequent duty of each to contribute, okay, Heartless disregard of the poor by inculcating the universal brotherhood of believers and the consequent duty of each to contribute of his abundance to relieve the necessities of the poor. At the same time, they inculcate on the poor the duty of self-support to the extent of their ability. They are commanded with quietness to work and to eat their own bread. Could these principles be carried out? There would be among Christians neither idleness nor want. So... So it is. So it could be. And in many cases, in places in the world, so it is. And it's a delight to see the body of Christ working in concert that way in a, in a local um, body of, of Christians and amongst a, a community that has more than one church. As it is written in verse 15, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little had no lack. Now, this verse speaks to the sharing that probably, I think, went on at the time in the, that's spoken of in the Old Testament when the manna came. And, and if you gathered too much, it spoiled. If you gathered not enough, somehow you had enough. Um, I think sometimes it may have been supernatural, and some of it may have been sharing that went on. But in this particular case, the sharing that goes on so that someone does not have too much and someone has no lack. Now, that's not that you... Look around and you figure out how to equalize your bank account with everybody else. When there's a need at this present time, when there comes a need, and God calls upon you to help relieve that need, do what you can to help relieve it. But it also involves getting together and getting to know the person who's in need as much as possible. Sometimes we can't do that. If, if we're called somehow to give to this, this, this great destruction in Alabama, we're not going to be able to get to know those people, but there's probably a church down there that... Uh, and and I could go into the practicalities of this, and I don't want to get too far afield, but do some research if you decide to give to an agency or an organization. There are certain organizations that when you give to them, 99.9% .9 of that gift passes through and meets the needs of the people. Governments aren't on that list. No government. Even if there are good governments, there are administrative costs, there are difficulties, but um, I think it's the Gideons. They do everything at their own expense. And there are numerous, there are numerous charities like that, Christian charities like that. So think it through. Be careful if you're going to be looking to give to somewhere outside the community and you can't vet the need. Look for a trustworthy organization that does that kind of thing. So then Paul is going to pat Titus on the back 
And we'll probably get either here or the next verse will end up. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Paul couldn't do everything. And anybody who's in a position of responsibility who thinks, I remember, I remember one time, I think I'm the only person in my family that made my father-in-law mad. He's a wonderful man. And they came to help me years ago. This was like 1977. They came to help me put skirting on my trailer, and I didn't give any direction. I just started. And Harvey said, you let us help? That was the extent of his anger. I didn't know he was mad, but his daughters knew. So anyway, God will put needs on the heart of multiple people because none of us can do it alone. We can do it together. Paul did this together with Titus, and Titus actually pretty much takes the lead here. Paul was not the only one who had the heartfelt desire to see the church in Jerusalem assisted in their time of need. The Gentile Titus, the Gentile Titus saw the need in the Jerusalem church, and he said, he, I'm going to do something about this. He had the same desire. This would do away, help. one of the outgrowths of this was that it would do away with any objections that this was just a Pauline project and another opportunity to enrich Jews at the expense of Gentiles. Titus, being a Gentile, was excited about this opportunity to help. Note, that all, note here also that although Titus had a zeal to assist the Jerusalem church, it was God who put that zeal and that earnestness in Titus. And that should be such a, a relief to anybody who's in a position of responsibility. God will put zeal in people to direct them where it needs to happen. And then you can just get out of the way. Don't get run over by the zeal. This is, this, I, there's a whole lot more here than I was able to plumb the depths of. But Titus, this is like he went, I'm on it. I'm on it, Paul. Get out of the way. It's, it's kind of what I got. He wouldn't say that, but I probably would have. I'd, have. I'd have been in trouble. Titus, being a Gentile, was excited. Note here that Titus had a zeal, he had a zeal, and it was God who put that zeal in earnest there. When we are saved, which is all the work of God, the ongoing actions of every believer are also controlled by God himself. Without any violation of liberty or responsibility, God does not regenerate and save the sheep only to turn them loose in the volatile atmosphere of this sinful world. He works daily inculcating desires and zeal into our hearts. Psalm 38, trust in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He puts those zeals and earnestness in our hearts to live for Him. Desires and zeal that become a part and parcel of our ongoing work for the Lord, which He then rewards. I mean, who gets... That's such a cool thing. Cool is kind of a... Poor substitute word for something Paul would have used, but it's just the only one that came to mind. For he not only accepted, Titus, Paul says, our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. Paul requested Titus to help, but Titus made the decision to go to Corinth on his own. This opportunity to show the world how how Christians love one another was so important to him that he took it to heart and he did what was necessary to help this almsgiving by traveling to Corinth himself. Note also that this project was a desire of at least two and probably more in responsibility in the early church. There was no individual mandating a project. It was rather several who had been given a godly desire to take care of those in need. Further, believers will not need to be coerced into into doing the work that God himself has put in their hearts. One quick anecdote, and we'll we'll close this. One time, there was a 
a, a person, I'm not going to, because if I said the name, you'd know him, who was in need. And I was sitting, listening to a message. And I was, I believe, directed. Well, I don't believe. I was directed to help this person. But we had been saving for a car. And the number that, I mean, God didn't say, give this amount. I just, I felt they needed to have this money. And I thought, well, I'll tell my wife and it'll, it's got to be wife and husband. And she goes, yeah, I think we should do that too. <laughs> so we gave the money. And you'd probably remember this. It was a couple weeks later, someone gave us a car. A better car than the one we were going to buy. Now, that shouldn't be motivation to do it. It wasn't motivation for us. We just knew, well, we're going to be saving some more. God will move people to do things. He'll put the zeal. He'll put the earnestness in their hearts. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Not somebody standing up front who flies a Learjet. And I, I don't fly a Learjet. I drive a set 98 GMC, and it works just as well to get me to places. Brothers and sisters, God is at work in this very church today, putting in our hearts, in our, our minds, in our, our desires and zeals to do His work. Whether it's giving or teaching or bringing up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it's all of those things. And those are all zeals and desires that are blessed and important and effective in the, in the, in the propagation of the gospel into the world. But we will find out one thing about that brother. He wasn't famous because he starred in some show. I want you to go ahead and read ahead a little bit and see what you think he was famous in, and we'll talk about it the next time I come. Jess will be teaching next week. He's going to give us an introduction to 2 Samuel by previewing 1 Samuel. Do I get that was the wrong word? But uh, an overview of 1 Samuel so we can understand. But we're, I'm looking forward to getting into the Old Testament. It's going to be so much fun. But uh, I'm just glad God is at work in this church. What a blessing we all, what a blessing you are. Let's close in prayer. Lord, it is for your glory that these things happen. Let it never be said when someone finds groceries on their, on their, their step or a car or any other thing that they thank human responsibility, but they thank you, they glorify you, honor you, Father, for it is you who are at work doing these kinds of things in our lives every day. Uh, it is a remarkable work of grace and sanctification. Help us to be respondents to that so that when we can be in a position to help, that we would do that. We would, send our, we would ask you to send us. This morning, Lord, we pray for uh, Dave as he brings the message. We pray that you would give him wisdom and, and words that would, would challenge our hearts and cause us to love you even more. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do and what you are doing in this body today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.